Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. So tonight's study is actually going to be called The Pleasures of Sin for a Season. The Pleasures of Sin for a Season. So, you know, um, we're going to get deep into this. The Lord speaks a lot about pleasures. I don't think the Lord has a problem with pleasure. I think it's the type of pleasure that we might go after that may cause the Lord to do certain things, you know, or we can hinder our own walk through caring about the things that we love or the things that make us feel good. But, you know, if you really ponder what pleasures of sin for a, a season means, I mean, it's really something where, you know, we got to first look at sin is pleasurable. Anybody telling you that sin is not pleasurable is lying to you, okay? The devil will never entice you with things that you would not want. Sin itself is pleasurable, but as the Bible says, it's just for a season. Because I remember, uh, what's the guy, David David Langford, Pastor David Langford, He said, sin will take you farther than you ever wanted to go. It'll keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay. And it'll cost you more than you are ever willing to pay. And that is so true when you think about how you can have fun now, but pay later. So, I mean, eventually it gets to the point where sin is not pleasurable because you grow stronger in spirit and not to your flesh. But when you are in the flesh, then then sin becomes extremely pleasurable because you're being enticed or you're you're going according to your nature. But when you become born again, sin in some ways is still pleasurable, but little by little, God begins to take that desire for sin out of you, you know? So this is something that we have to go through and why sin would hang around for a while and the pleasures of sin will be around for a while, but then there comes a point where you will have to pay the piper like Pastor Price had mentioned before, if you dance to the devil's music, you've got to pay the piper. And we've got to get to the place of our pleasure should be in God's will. Our pleasure should be the things that God wants, not the things that we can find for ourselves, because the flesh is totally blind to the ways of God. Look at all the sins we committed that we actually believe were good. We thought, you know, well, I'm a Christian as long as I say I am, but if I sin, I mean, it don't make no difference. I already got my salvation. But you see, that's looking at it from a carnal individual's perspective. But the true perspective is without holiness, no man will see the Lord. So this is what we're going to be talking about tonight. We're going to hear two clips, one from Pastor Price and another from another guy that the Lord gave me today. That's going to be so fitting for what we have to deal with. Because you see, in order for Adam and Eve to do the things that they did, you know, they had to be enticed with pleasure. She saw that it was good for food and pleasant to the eyes. And once you hit that point, then a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit, didn't even think about it and ate. So you see, pleasure 
from the very beginning has always been the thing that the devil is trying to use to keep God's people from being obedient to him. He had to entice them with something good. The devil never entices you with something ugly, something distasteful, something dark and dirty. It may be dirty underneath, but when you're looking at it through the carnal eye, man, you know, this is exactly what I want. A job making seven or six figures, totally what I want. You know, any type of food that we can actually pleasure in, even candy that may make your teeth rot out, you're all in. A beautiful woman that you can't stop staring at that you desire, or even a woman looking at a man. The devil never brings something ugly on the outside to your door. He always brings things, you know, that look beautiful and enticing just to lure you in. So this is how the devil operates. And he's been doing it for a long time. So I want to um, go into uh, scripture real quick. I want to go to one place and then we'll go right into prayer. Let's go to Proverbs. Uh, where do I want to go? Proverbs 21. And let's look at verse 17. Proverbs 21 and 17. All right, this is Proverbs 21 and verse 17, and it says, He that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man, but he that loveth wine and oil shall not be rich. So it tells you here that if you love pleasure, that you will be a poor man. Now, some people can say, is this talking about riches? I would say to some degree, it possibly could because of the fact that you know, a lot of people play around even today with their futures, don't take a whole lot serious. And you find out that they will become poor when they're not serving God or doing the things that God wants. And then there are other times, you know, that the, the pleasure itself can take you away from the riches of God or doing the will of God and the things that God wants. OK, so that's where we got to really be careful and have an understanding that if we take pleasure to be our head in life, then we're going to miss out on all the riches of God. Okay. Now, if you look at what he said again, look at verse 21 uh, or verse 17. He says, he that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man. Now you can look at Adam and Eve for this. Now, some people can say, did Adam and Eve had money? Did they have money? And you can say, technically they didn't need it. Can you turn the light over this way a little bit? But um, technically, they didn't need it, you know, because the, the uh, what do you call it? The garden was self-sustaining. Thank you. The garden was self-sustaining that they could have everything that God wants. And guys, be in prayer because there's witchcraft in the air. I can feel it right now, you know. But anyway, the thing is, is that pleasure cannot govern your life. If it governs your life, it's going to appeal to the flesh. Now, God doesn't mind us having pleasure and doing some things of God. But God has got to be your head and your pleasures have to be what God wants them to be. You see, because that's the safety valve. God told them, just to show you how strong pleasure is, God told them that they could eat from every tree of the garden. He just said to stay away from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The very one that they weren't supposed to be touching, the devil enticed them to be a part of. So that's something that we've got to look at that when pleasure begins to govern us and not God, 
He says we will be poor. Why? Because the Holy Ghost, which is the richness of God and the mystery of the glory of God, will not rest on things that are not God's will. God's spirit is going to rest on God's will. That's why we're empowered by the spirit to do the things that God wants. But then he equates, you know, pretty much riotous living, he that loveth wine and oil shall not be rich. So you see, we've got to stay sober in this thing and desire the things that God wants so that we can be full of what God wants. So let's pray real quick. We got two clips to listen to and we're gonna um, begin Proverbs. I mean, not Proverbs. We're gonna go into prayer and then we're gonna get right into this lesson. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you for another day not promised to us. And we ask, Lord, that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and our transgressions and those things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, we're grateful for this time that you've given us with my sisters and brothers, Lord, that are online and before us, that we have yet another day to be partakers, Lord, in your word, that we can have your spirit, that we can do the things that you need us to. And I pray that this becomes spiritual food. I pray that this word pierces the heart. I pray that this message, Lord, sobers your people up and shows them that aside from you, we have no real pleasure. And Lord, I ask that no man's heart be heard today, that no flesh be glorified, but that the Holy Ghost, Lord, will be upon us, that we will be edified and taught by your spirit. And I pray in Jesus' name that you bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, every spirit of contention or confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, and hatred, all spirits of fear, doubt, and unbelief, and the spirit of witchcraft that the devil has tried to use to come against this ministry. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you bind the devil and that you send it back to the sender a thousandfold, that they may know that you are God and they may glorify you and forget about their wicked deeds. And Lord, I just pray for those who couldn't be here today, that you watch over them, that you guide them, that you keep them in unity of the spirit, that they may obey you and follow you. We pray and we ask that all these things be done for your glory and honor. In Jesus' mighty, holy, and precious name we pray, amen. I feel like as soon as we prayed that, that something went out of here. So thank you guys for the intercession because you can always tell when witchcraft is in the air because your mind gets dizzy and your thoughts get scattered. It's a really different feeling that, you know, today we were out there and we saw, um, you know, a cat come around again, a different cat than the other cat, just hanging by the door when we came in. So we know that we're the devil's target right now, but you know what? Hallelujah anyhow because he's got no power to come up against the forces of God. He's a joke in the eyes of God. All right, so let's start, let's begin. Let's go to Hebrews, uh, book of Hebrews. Let's look at verse one as we talk about the pleasures of sin for a season. Thank you, Lord. This is Hebrews, um, not Hebrews one, Hebrews 11, I'm sorry, guys. Hebrews 11, and let's look at verse one. And it says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 
For by it, the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. So we understand that everything that we're gonna talk about in this chapter, because we're not gonna go through all of it, we're gonna get to the point because we got a lot to cover tonight. But everything that we do or everything that's gonna be mentioned has much to do with faith. So let's not let this shoot by us, okay? Because this is gonna be the key component behind everything that we're gonna be speaking of. So let's get down to verse 23. Okay, verse chapter 23. Let's look at verse 22. So it says, by faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. So you see, it took faith for them. At the time, the king gave a commandment, which we're gonna read into, that talked about killing all the males of the children of Israel. But you see, they had faith enough to believe that this is a child that God may use or that you know he was a proper child and they wanted to hide him away, not even considering their own lives. Okay, they believed that Moses was not gonna be killed. They wanted to save his life. And in doing so, God was able to use Moses. But do you know what would have happened if the Pharaoh would have saw that and said, you know what, you're keeping people alive? Well, I'm gonna kill you guys too. The Pharaohs in that day were very serious. So they had faith to go against the king's commandment, but to preserve the life of Moses. In many ways, as Christians, you and I will have to go against the king's commandment just to do the things of God. And what are we trying to push? The life of Christ. Look at verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was come two years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, I think the story of Moses is really, really important concerning the pleasures of sin for a season because you see, Moses' life was very much like Jesus's. And what I mean by that is this. Jesus waited till he was 30 years old to go and get baptized and to get full of the spirit to do the Father's will. Now, can people be used of the Lord before then? Absolutely. But when the Bible tells you and I to flee youthful lust, when it tells us to grow in grace, that Jesus went and when he became 30 years of old, 30 years of age, because that was the commandment of his father. Do you know that you and I can't even serve the Lord the way we want to, as long as we got youthful lust, as long as we're still weak in spirit and and strong in the flesh, and, and this whole world becomes our reality and we don't desire the things of God, you can't serve God like that because you're going to be double-hearted, double-minded. You're not gonna see what's most important. But I will say, like I talked about in last night's teaching, Moses and Jesus both knew that when they went to do the will of the Lord, they had no confusion in their lives. Moses' job was to set the captives free. He knew what side he was on. He was not confused at all by the commandments of God. And Jesus Christ was the same way the Son of God knew that he was there to fulfill the will of his Father. And you and I cannot get to the place of growing, to the place of understanding that Jesus Christ is everything 
the calling and the purpose of God upon our lives is the single most important thing that you and I could have, then we will never fully understand what it is to serve God. And this is why you got a lot of hypocritical gospel in the church today. You got a lot of pastors telling you, man, live your life. Just give God some time. Hey, I would love to do that if that was in the scripture. But as you can see, it's not in there. It's the purpose of God to direct your life during the second phase of your life being born again, that you can do the works of God. That's what this is about. So you guys are going to see how important this actually is. Look at verse 25. Why didn't he want to be the son of the Pharaoh's daughter? Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Now that is key because you see, when Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness with God, you know, God took 40 years to get the wilderness or the Egypt out of Moses. That's why when Moses came back, he could do everything that God said because that became his reality. Moses was 40 years old when he left Egypt. He came back, he was 80 after spending time with God and being in the wilderness. So the Egypt had to come out of Moses in order for Moses to serve the living God. It's the same thing with us today, guys. As much as we love the world and the things that are in this world, the Bible tells us to forsake them because the love of the Father is not in you if you love the world. Now, I've heard this question mentioned before, then what do we do since we got to live here? And I want to say to you, let God govern your steps. God knows that you have to do things here, but there's a difference between being in this world and not being of this world. When you're in this world, your purpose is to serve God and do what you need to do while you're here. But the thing is, is that if you love this world, then that means you can care less about what God says. You want to pursue the will of the world. There's a big difference here because if I were to tell you guys, Hey, the Bible says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If you believe Christ and you don't love the world, you would say, absolutely. So I'm going to pray that God sets me free from the affections of the world. It's simple. Yes, I know this, and I'm asking the Lord to take it from me. When you love the world, you will defend the world and fight for it. You will tell me I'm a heretic for preaching that. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm going to do what I want to do. That's loving the world because the, Jesus says, if you love me to keep my commandments, if you love the world, you're going to follow the ways of the world. That which you yield your, men, your members to, you become the servant thereof. So Moses would rather be with the children of Israel as slaves, even though he was pretty much born in riches. He would rather be with the children of Israel than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. That tells you something a lot about the heart of the people of God, because the gospel that Jesus came to preach, the only difference between that and then was he gave the spirit and he gave them the antidote to becoming born again, that they wouldn't be corrupt men. But outside of that, if you look at the Old Testament doctrine and you look at the new the gospel falls right into it. So you see, God's word is all about conditioning you and I for an afterlife 
not the one that we have here. Yes, God's word can instruct you here and you can have a fruitful life. You can have a good family and you can do all these things. But the bottom line is the pleasures of sin are what entice you and I to disobey God. And it also causes God in many cases to move his hand back and not use us the way that he wants to. Why? Because we're involved in unrighteousness. This is gonna take time and God is gonna free us from this, but we have to have a desire to be a part of it because the question can even come with some that if I give my life to God and let's just say he takes me out of the world, what would I be then? You know what, if you love the Lord, who cares? All I know is he's gonna take care of me like he did so many servants of his and he's gonna do what he wants to do in you. The second phase of your life belongs to God. Isn't it funny that Moses became 40 when he rebelled and he was 40 years after he came back to set the captives free. This is not a popular doctrine for a lot of people, but you know what tonight, because I know what spirit I'm fighting against, I could care less. What people need to understand is that God is here to set you free, okay? And whatever that looks like, when you walk with God is the thing that we need to pay attention to. Look at verse 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. So you don't think Moses knew who Christ was? It's telling you here that Jesus was the burning bush, you know, because he had respect unto the reward of Christ than to go on and be a part of the world. So we're all gonna get to the place of finding out what our treasures are and the things that we hold dear to us. But the closer you draw to Jesus Christ, I guarantee you, you'll see what a treasure he is. Sin is pleasurable. There's another thing that the Bible tells us about sin. Sin is also, uh, let's see, sin is also uh, deceitful. You know, so sin doesn't always look like sin. Sin may look like, you know, I'm having a good time. I'm enjoying myself. And if it feels good, I'm going to do it. But the Bible says that sin is deceitful. So we've got to also have our senses exercised to be able to know what good and evil is. Because in our lives during the first phase, we almost thought everything that was, you know, evil was good. During the second phase of your life, you recognize, man, everything that I thought was good is evil. And then you get introduced to Christ and he begins to share his riches with you. You know what one of the problems is that keeps the people of God double-minded is they may hear the gospel, they might believe it. But one of the issues is they run off in the world, get infected by the world, get full of the world, and then they come back and they want to fight the gospel. You know what that is? You're being infected. One minute you can believe the doctrine of Jesus Christ and the next minute, man, I just don't see that and understand that because you're sharing your mind with the world. And you know what causes the mind to get corrupt? Where you place your heart. You will start to have an allegiance and an affection to the things that are against God because you hold them in your heart. So we've got to get to the place of believing God, trusting God, obeying God, and loving him more than anything. So I wanna to go to a place right now. Let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter two, and then we're gonna get right into this lesson. 
Ecclesiastes 2. And we're going to look at a man that, man, he, pleasure was his middle name. This guy knew it all and had it all. You want to talk about lifestyles of the rich and famous, he would have blew them out the water. They would have had maybe 10 episodes on what Solomon had. This is Ecclesiastes 2. Let's look at verse 1. He says, I said in mine heart, go to now and will prove thee with mirth. Uh, therefore, enjoy pleasure and behold, this also is vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of mirth, what doeth it? I sought in mine heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting my heart with wisdom and to lay hold on folly till I might see what was the good for the sons of men, or what was that good for the sons of men, which they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. So Solomon was talking about in the beginning, yeah, you may have some pleasures and things in this life, but he's recognizing that it's vanity. So vanity is like a vapor, it's like a breath. It's like once you breathe it out on a cold day and it manifests, it'll dissolve right before your eyes. Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes towards the end of his life because what Solomon recognized is that I done done it all. And you know what I found out? It's worth almost nothing compared to what God wants me to have. So Solomon is someone who could be used as the best example of the pleasures of sin for a season because what Solomon did was, you know, he didn't obey God. This was a man full of wisdom. Until the coming of Christ, no one had the wisdom of Solomon. He understood all things. He knew all things. He was one with God. God gave him this as a gift, but yet and still, he could not stop disobeying God. He had to fool around with multiple women from other tribes. He had, what, 700 wives, 300 concubines. I mean, this guy lost his mind, you may as well say. God came to him on three separate occasions and said, Solomon, Stop what you're doing. You know, be like your father, David, that loved me with all his heart. But Solomon continued. Now, you would have to ask yourself, how can a man with so much wisdom and understanding do what he did? And you know what Solomon's problem was? Solomon enjoyed pleasure. Solomon would love pleasure, you can say in many ways, more than he loved God. You see, so even with wisdom, if pleasure rules your life, that it will take you down. Absolutely. Great point. Because you say that which you acquaint yourself to, you will become one with. That is an absolute fact. So he says in verse four, I made me great works. I builded me houses. Now we looking to buy a house. This man building him houses. Okay. I planted my vineyard. So he didn't go to Winco. Look at verse five. I made me gardens and orchards and I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruits. I made me pools of water to water uh, therewith of uh, the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens and had, and had servants born in my house. Also, I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold 
and the peculiar treasure of kings and of the provinces, I get me men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. So this guy had prime time entertainment in his house, in his kingdom. He had everything that a man could wish for. Look at verse nine. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. So he says this many times through the book of Ecclesiastes, even though I had all this, my wisdom was still there. You know, there's nothing worse than knowing the right way and going the wrong way. Because you see, there'll be no excuse for you. But a lot of people feel like, well, because I know the Bible, that that's good enough. <laughs> no, nah, buddy, you gotta walk this thing out. You've got to live what you know. Truth is not real until you become a part of it and it's, and it's coming out through you. So I can speak truth, but it won't have any effect if I'm not living what I say, okay? So he says in verse 10, and whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I beheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. So he was full of the lust of the eyes, the lust, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That means anything he wanted to behold that was beautiful, Man, he went after it all. Look at verse 11. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought and on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit and there was no profit under the sun. So when he talks about vexation of spirit, I wanna look at this real quick because I wanna get the proper definition of vanity. And I know we've taught on this before, we've talked about this before, but it's good to bring some understanding and to have a reminder of the things that you know we've known before. It's like a refresher. So this is Ecclesiastes 2, and I believe I'm at uh, verse 11. Okay, so if you look up the word vanity, this is H1892. And that word is vapor, breath, or vanity emptiness or vanity, figuratively um, something transitory and unsatisfactory, often used in an adverb, okay? So we're not gonna go there, but you guys get the point. Now, if you look at the word vexation, this is H7469. That word means longing and striving. You know what Solomon was trying to say? He was chasing the elusive carry. He was trying to be fulfilled and have everything he could, but the closer he ran to that carrot, it just drifted away from him. So he, he spent his life with all his possessions, longing and striving. You know what vexation you can get from longing and striving and still can't get to where you are? This is the world as we know it. Yeah, you wanna say uh, something? Yeah, it just stood out to me that I any mean Solomon was a hard worker. He mm -hmm. not like this all just came to him, you know, or did it unjustly. He used his hands to work for these things, and still, no matter what uh, he did, he was missing, you know, God's mm -hmm. that void in his heart from God, mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't enough. So, no matter what you do in your own power, you can't do it. Mm -hmm. God, that joy. 
I agree. And I think the saddest thing about Solomon in this situation is he knew the Lord. That's the worst case scenario is that you can know God and still go off the deep end. Man. So he look at, uh, I believe him in verse 12. He says, and I turn myself and behold wisdom and madness and folly. But what can uh, the man do that cometh after the king, even that which he hath already done? Uh, then I saw the wisdom excelleth folly. Uh, as far as light excelleth darkness, the wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walketh in darkness. And I myself perceived also that one event happeneth to them all. So what Solomon is saying here, we think with our little careers and our lives and what we got planned, we think that we're the first people to live this life and to have a dilemma of whether or not we should serve the Lord. You think you're the first person to hear of this or to know of this? Solomon said, I recognize with everything I did that after I go, somebody else is gonna come and repeat the same thing. There's nothing new under the sun. We have no new problem that we can bring to Christ and say, you know what, Lord, I know you helped out a lot of people, but my situation is completely different. No, God knows your situation too, because it's repeated year after year with about 9 million people, you know? So anyway, he says in verse 15, he says, then said I in my heart, as it happeneth to the fool, so it happened even to me. And why was I then more wise? Then I said in my heart that this also is vanity, but there is no remembrance of the wise, of the wise, more than of the full forever, seeing that that which now is in the days to come shall be all forgotten, and now dieth the wise man as the fool. So you see, you can be whatever you want to be in this life. You can be successful, or you can die homeless and broke. Guess what? If you know not God, you guys are going to be shaking hands in the same place. That's what we must understand. Look at verse 17. Therefore, I hated life because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me, for all is vanity and vexation of spirit. He hated life, but he couldn't stop doing what he was doing. This is how strong the lure of pleasure is. Many of us have backslidden, hated our sin, but until the Lord stepped in and helped you out of it, you could not get out of it. This is important. Look at verse 18. Yea, I hated all my labor, which I had taken under the sun, because I, because I should leave it unto the man that shall be after me. And who knoweth whether he shall be a wise man or a fool, yet shall he have rule over all my labor wherein I have labored and wherein I have shewed myself. Wise under the sun, this is also vanity. So he's recognizing you can't take anything with you. I don't care what you build here. It's not going with you on the other side. And you know what? There is no feeling like this until you go through this in life. Have you ever been let go from a job? Well, let's just say something happened where it didn't work out, or they thought you weren't fit to be managers, so they demoted you. And then you see the person that comes after you promoted, and he's being shown around, and he's doing the job. And you see that feeling you got inside, like, you know, after all I've done, now they're going to put somebody else in there. But we must understand that position never belonged to you. You were just filling the void for the time being 
until something else happened. But look at how we can take things that are not our own as our possessions and they're temporal. They change from season to season. So anyway, he says in verse 20, therefore I went about to cause my heart to despair of all the labor which I took under the sun. But there is a man whose labor is in wisdom and in knowledge and in equity, yet to a man that hath not labored therein shall he leave it for his portion. This also is vanity and a great evil. For what hath man in all his labor and of the vexation of his heart, wherein he hath labored under the sun? For all his days are sorrows and his travail grief, yea, his heart taketh not rest in the night. This is also vanity. There is nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that he should take his soul and joy good in his labor. This also I saw that it was from the hand of God. So God does give us things in this life to enjoy, you know, marriages, children, you know, he may even sustain you with, you know, some wealth, depending on what your position is with God. He will bless you and sustain you. But that's part of like a man's portion, things that he's expected to enjoy in life. But none of those pleasures can be more to you than God. Okay, so look at verse 25. For who can eat or who else can um, can hasten hereunto more than I? But God giveth to a man that is good in his sight, wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner he giveth travail to gather and to heap up that he may give to him that is good before God. This also is vanity and vexation of spirit. You know, when you get to the end of Ecclesiastes, Solomon explains why even a lot of the gifts from God is vanity. Now, now I'm not saying that God, um, any of his gifts are no good, but God gives us two kinds of gifts. He gives us gifts to have in this life. Okay, why? For his purpose. Why does God give you um, the ability to have kids? I mean, honestly, why does God even give you the ability to have sex and for it to feel good? Do you know what I believe? The reason why God made sex pleasurable is because that would influence man to be fruitful and multiply. Man is so lazy and full of evil and so outside of God that if it wasn't some little bit of pleasure to have something come, he would do his own thing. So you see, the reason why God allows sex and it's pleasurable, first of all, he wants people to be married, but two, he also wants a house full of kids. You having sex and having that pleasure is another gift to God that says, I've got one more soul that I can save and bring into the kingdom of heaven with me. So you see, God will give you things like that according to his pleasure. But that's for the here and now. Because when you get to heaven, your son's not going to be your son. Your mom and dad are not going to be your mom and dad. Your wife will not be your wife. Neither will your husband be your husband. We're going to all be given in like the angels standing before God, and he will be our pleasure. So there are some pleasures he gives us for the here and now, but the main pleasures that he gives is that we may be partakers of, of his spirit. We may not go to hell. Okay, that's a lot of pleasure to be saved from a lake of fire. See, to be full of Christ and to do the things of Christ, what greater pleasure is there than that? To a people that brought, that brought upon their own destruction. 
So you see, that's the love and grace of God to tell them what was right. They did wrong and Christ came to redeem us that we may be with him in eternity, that we won't pay the price that our forefathers committed. Man, that is pleasure beyond pleasure. So we must understand what it is to serve God and to, de and to desire what God wants for us. I'm gonna play a quick clip. No, no, let's, let's, uh, I wanna go to Exodus, uh, let's go to Exodus chapter one. Let's go there. We'll get to the clip in a minute. But man, the devil works through pleasure. Now you and I can say drugs are bad, drugs kill. But you know, you got to ask yourself, how can a person that smokes cigarettes continue to smoke even though they know that it can cause cancer? Even though people can even tell you, man, this is going to kill you. And you're huffing and coughing out your lungs almost near death, but you can't live without those cigarettes. Because you see, pleasure attacks two areas of the body. One, it gives you a rush of, 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 it causes dopamine to be released and serotonin. Serotonin relaxes the body. The dopamine gives you pleasure. And you can even have adrenaline mixed in that depending on what you're doing. These are the areas that the devil knows that if he can affect with you and I, he can get you to disobey God. So you see, dopamine is released even with drugs, even with sex, even when you get paid and you can think about all the things that you can buy for you. You see, that's what the devil uses. He uses dopamine to, to cause the people of God to not obey God. Yes, Sarah? Just to, to give my own experience, when I used to smoke cigarettes, I smoked for like 10 years, up and on for 10 years. But it really is demonic because the devil will keep you in some sort of high stress mm -hmm. kind of you know, living, even mm -hmm. though there's really no stress around you. It'll make you think that everything is stressful, so you have to smoke cigarettes. Because mm -hmm. it's like when I stopped smoking and gave it to the Lord, it was like that started to come come apart. You know, he like took it. The Amen. Lord started saying, "You're not as stressed out as you actually think you are. Mm -hmm. It's the demons inside of you that keep your mind stressed. Mm -hmm. So they're telling you you have to smoke cigarettes, you have to drink alcohol. They're lying to you." kill you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Demons totally influence men to do the things that they do. No doubt about it. But man in his will has the choice to say, I'm going to obey God or I'm going to obey the devil. Because we can't blame, you know, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but we can't blame the demons for everything. Because if that's the case, you and I can continue living how we live. And then when we go before the Lord, we can say, well, Lord, here's the people that did whatever to me. So by right, you got to let me go because they forced me to do it. Nobody forces you to do anything. There is nothing stronger than your will. The devil and Satan both know when you mean business. When you decide to commit to one, you will be the enemy of the other. But the thing we must understand is no one can make you do anything. You know, when people pray prayers, sorry, Lord, I fell into fornication. Pastor Price said, ain't nobody fell into fornication. He said, how are you going to go to a hotel, check in, you know, take a shower, you know, and then go do your business and then say, Lord, forgive me. How can you do that? You act like fornication is a hole, like you fell into it. 
I mean, nobody falls into it. This was premeditated. Why? Because that was the sin that was within. That was the nature that was in your own heart that was calling for the things that you wanted. So, you know, we got to be real with God if we want to be delivered from the things that we find pleasurable that are offensive to him. Yeah. Um, um, also, just to add on to the whole um, cigarette thing, I've heard people say, oh, well, it's not in the Bible, that it's not a sin. But if you go to Galatians like 5, um, 19 through 21, where it has the list of sins in the New Testament, it, at the end of it, it says, um, envyings, murder, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Mm-hmm. So any sins that would lead to the next thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, if it's addictive, you can't stop. Then that is demonic and just knowing, testing the good versus evil. Absolutely. And the Bible also says that no murderer will make it into the kingdom of heaven. You're killing yourself. And it also is saying, too, that any man in Second Corinthians chapter 3, I believe it is, that if any man destroy the temple, or it might be First Corinthians 3, it's one of those, but if any man destroys the temple, that he will be destroyed or he will be condemned, okay? So we've got to keep this temple upright with the Lord, all right? That's our responsibility to yield to him and to let him do it. Great point. So this is um, Exodus chapter one, and I wanna look at verse uh, six. Now, you know, it was actually verse five. Now, you know that these were the tribes of Israel that had to go into Egypt because, you know, God made it fruitful. There was a seven years of plenty and there was seven years of famine. So they were there. I'm sure they were having a good old time. Look at verse five. And all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were 70 souls. But Joseph was in Egypt already. And Joseph died and all his brethren and all their, that generation. So Joseph in some ways, okay, don't, don't take it wrong with what I'm saying. Joseph is a type of grace. Because as long as Joseph was there, okay, and he knew the Pharaoh, Joseph was in good standing with him. Why? Because Joseph did right by him. He took care of Joseph. So then it says, and Joseph died and all his brethren and all that generation. And the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceeding mighty. And the land was filled with them. You know, I even remember in America, even in my young age, I remember that the values of Jesus Christ were promoted. And it seemed like Christians were everywhere and churches were growing and people were getting full of the spirit. And you couldn't openly talk about Jesus the way people do it now with all kinds of disrespect. Even sinners, even uh, gang members, if you were to say that, you would mention the Lord. That may save your life that night. They may want to do you harm and you can say, hey, man, I go to the same church you do. And you know that the Lord says that this is wrong. And they would be, now he's right. Got to give respect to the Lord. Let him go. Today, man, they would kill you just because. All right. So it's just telling you that, you know, the land was full of them. But I remember seeing growing churches. I remember, you know, just hearing about the Holy Ghost. You could even watch real good pastors on TV. Like R.W. Schombach and these guys, man, the stuff that they teach today, I can't believe that it was on TV. But I mean, you could get saved on TV. Not anymore. But anyway, he says in verse eight, now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, behold, the people of the children of Israel 
are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply and it come to pass that when there, when there falleth out um, any war, they join also unto the enemies and fight against us and so get them up out of the land. Therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens and they built for Pharaoh uh, treasure cities, Pythium, Pythium and Ramses. And then it says, but the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. So as you can see, this is a type of persecution for the Christian. I think a good old persecution is gonna help the people of God. Do I enjoy running for my life? Absolutely not. But one thing I'm recognizing is when we can get out of the pleasures of this world, then we can serve the living God. So it seems like no matter what they were going through, no matter what they were doing to them, they were continuing to grow. And that's because they became the enemies of Egypt. As long as they were friends, they probably didn't even think about God much. But once the world, which is Egypt, became an enemy to them, then they could see with a fresh perspective, they're doing us wrong. Okay, so let's look at verse um, verse 13. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage, in mortar and in brick and in all manner of service to the, uh, in the field. All their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. And the, and the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrews midwives, the Hebrews midwives, or Hebrew midwives, of which the name of the one was uh, Shifra and the name of the other Pua. And he said, uh, when ye do the office of a midwife to the um, Hebrew women and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then ye shall kill him. But if it be a daughter, then, shall, um, then she shall live. You know what I think too here concerning, cause I gotta make the point, I keep stopping, but when you look at a man and a woman here, what they understand, now you know that we become sons of God when we give ourselves to the Lord. Isn't it funny how he said, if it be a son, kill them. Now, some people would say, well, that's only because, you know, you are what the men are. Like if your dad is black and your mom is white, you're labeled as black, why? Because the man has the sperm, okay? But the thing that I'm recognizing here is daughters, or kind of like foreign, as you would say to God. They're not really called sons. Isn't it amazing how men are gonna be brides before the Lord? We're gonna be considered that. But everybody, whether they're man or women or, or woman, will be sons to God. It talks about the manifestation of the sons of God. So it's kind of funny how he said, if they be sons, then to kill them. Because you know, those who are truly sons of God can deliver the gospel. They'll be full of the spirit. They can reach other people. But if they be daughters, they'll pretty much go with the flow and can pretty much end up with anybody. I know a lot of people may not see it that way, but this is something that I feel like the Lord is showing me. And he says, and the midwife said unto Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, but they are lively and are delivered her, uh, the midwives come in unto them. Therefore, God dealt dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. And it came to pass because the midwives feared God 
that he made them houses. And Pharaoh charged all his people saying, every son that is born, ye shall cast into the river and every daughter ye shall save alive. And there went a man of the house of Levi and took a wife and daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him, that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. Now you guys know that this is Moses and he was picked up by the daughter of Pharaoh. I want to skip down to a key point here. Okay, so I want to look at uh, verse 10. And it says, and the child grew and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and she became uh, her son and he became her son. And she called his name Moses and she said, because I drew him out of the water. And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens. And he spied an Egyptian, smiting in Hebrew, uh, one of his brethren. So you see, this is important here too, because I'm not gonna be doing a lot of stopping from this point on, but this is a key point because Moses went out from amongst his people and recognized that, you know, the people, his people were being treated bad. So you can say this is a type of revelation that Moses received. And let's look at what he did. And he looked this way and that way. And when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together and he said unto him, that did the wrong, wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? And he said, who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me, and thou killest the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. Now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses, but Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now, I, don't, I know I'm not going to have a lot of time to get into this, but we must understand that Pharaoh, okay, rebelled on Moses because Moses rebelled against Egypt. But if you look at this, Moses understood that, you know what, my Egyptian life and all that I have, it's not right because I'm seeing someone being beaten here and things are being done to them. But you see, for us, if we were to put ourselves in that place, being in the world full of what we are and claim to be Christians and know Christ, how can we see the injustice in the world and love the world? Now, some people would say we got to work. I'm not talking about work. I'm not talking about education. I'm talking about your heart towards a thing that has claimed so many lives of people, whether they be saved or unsaved. How can you love this place? How can you not desire to get prepared to walk with Christ? How can you not want to preach the gospel and save souls unto Christ? This is something to think about. Because you see, if we've got the Egyptian heart, then we could just say, well, I got mine. He needs to get his. He needs to pull himself up by his own bootstraps. But what we talked about last night is the devil gave people a slavery that they would enjoy. And people don't even understand that we are slaves. We went into many examples last night about Egypt being the house of bondage and how we don't even realize as American citizens that our social security numbers and our birth certificates are traded on a stock exchange. When you gotta get a job, you gotta go to human resources, 
Okay, so you are a commodity to this corporation called the United States of America. What they did was they knew the hard bondage would get under your skin, so they pushed the American dream on you. And everybody ran after that elusive carrot only to bring themselves in bondage and turn their eyes away from the living God. As you can see here, Moses didn't have that kind of heart. Moses never forgot where he came from. All he needed to see was the wickedness that was happening to his brethren. We've got to get to the place of being built up where the pleasures of sin are not a good enough reason to not do the will of God. Because you see, the pleasures of sin is not just pleasure. It's leading you to a place in sin, which will do what? Bring forth death. So just because we are able to enjoy some things in this life, we still gotta be focused on, is this glorifying God or is this against God? Is this a part of the will and purpose of God for my life to do his will? Or is it something that I enjoy for me? Because there are two roads. One leads to destruction. The other leads to eternal life with Christ. So you see pleasure itself. They were having a good old time in Egypt. They grew, they were prosperous. They never thought about leaving. Even after the famine ended, they were enjoying where they were. Their trust was in Joseph and Joseph died and a new Pharaoh took over and then the rules began to change. This is what's gonna hurt a lot of Americans because they think they still live in the same United States that they did back in the 1930s. They may be preaching the same lie, but this is not the same place that we once lived in. It was always evil, but God's grace was upon this place. But man took his eyes off of God and began to pay attention to the lie of the serpent about having your best life now, and because of that, so many people have gone to hell. Do you know how many Christians have gone to hell or self-proclaiming Christians? Probably more than the unsaved or just as many. You've got to know Christ for real and fulfill what he wants you to do here. Because you see, sin is pleasurable, but sin only means to do one thing and that's take you away from God. So we've got to find out what's of him and what's against him. Somebody was gonna say something? Sorry, bro. Yeah, you can even push it back a little bit. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know what? Without further ado, we're going to hear a clip from Pastor Price. And I got a clip of another guy, too. I should probably play him first because um, he's talking about what I'm talking about. So let's put Pastor Price on hold. And let's listen to what this other guy has to say. Um, he says, my sin feels good in a moment. This was a, um, a question that someone left on a podcast. And a guy, um, a pastor is on there and he's going to address this. So you guys are going to find this really interesting. So it's called, my sin feels good in the moment. Okay. So he says, why should I stop? So let's get this back. We recorded this episode early because by airtime, Pastor John, you'll be ministering somewhere in Hong Kong, and you'll be there between May 20th and May 26th. 
And of course, we welcome and ask for all of your prayers on behalf of Pastor John as he ministers in Hong Kong. Let's be greatly appreciated. Today's question comes from an anonymous man. Hello, Pastor John. There's something I've been struggling with, and that thing has been not feeling convicted for my sin. I know that as a believer, I should feel bad for indulging in sin, smoking pot, watching porn, lying. Every time I do those things that I should not do, I never feel convicted, nor do I feel like God is punishing me or is angry with me for my sin. In fact, those things make me feel good in the moment. I guess my main thing is that I don't know how to hate sin, especially when I don't feel any immediate backlash from God for indulging in it. It's almost like God is giving me a free pass. And I just am wondering why that would be. How do I learn, Pastor John, to hate my sin? First, let's be really clear that this man is absolutely right that he needs to hate sin. Hate sin. This is not optional. It's commanded in the Bible, not suggested. And the command is not merely to flee evil, but to hate evil. Just like the command is not merely to do mercy, but to love mercy, love righteousness. So he has his finger on the very essence of the change that needs to happen to every fallen, sinful human being. Jesus put it like this when he was describing his own coming. This is the judgment. This is John three nineteen. This is the judgment that light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. So our problem is not that we don't have light, but that we love the darkness. We love it. And our friend who sent this question in bears witness to why we love it. He says, every time I do those things that I should not do, they make me feel good. The Bible calls this the fleeting pleasures of sin in Hebrews eleven twenty five. Of course sin feels good. Nobody would do it otherwise. Nobody sins out of duty. We do it because it feels good. And the reason we don't hate these behaviors is because we love them. They feel good. And we like to feel good. So we like them. We're like children who find the taste of poison sweet and pleasing. And we have to be taught first that the bottle with the skull on it is deadly. The big S-I-N on the bottle means it will kill you. Don't drink that. Avoid it. But more deeply, we need to go deeper than to have a sign up front that keeps us from doing what we really, really, really love to do. We've got to go deeper. Our tongues, the tongues of our soul, have to be put out of taste for the bait of the devil. I love that quote from a Puritan. I don't remember who said it, but they said, oh, God, put my tongue out of taste for the bait of the devil. That's exactly what has to happen. We can't just 
constantly love evil and not do it. We have to start hating evil. And to do that, we need new spiritual taste buds. We need the miracle of new birth. So how do we get these new spiritual taste buds? That's his question. And we start by realizing that we must get them. They're not optional. We must. This is not peripheral, marginal, icing on the cake to Christianity. This is necessary. We must get these new taste buds, and we can't get them by our willpower. That's what we got to realize. We must because God commands us to. Oh, you who love the Lord, hate evil, Psalm 97.10, or Paul in Romans 12.9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. It's a command. It's not an option. Hold fast to what is Good. So he doesn't just say leave evil, reject evil. He says abhor it. But you can't get hatred for evil by an act of willpower. You know you can't. He wouldn't even be writing in if he could because we are spiritually dead and we need a new moral life in our taste buds, the taste buds of our soul that tell the difference between good and evil by how horrid sin tastes and how sweet holiness tastes. So Ephesians 2, 3 sets up the awful problem. We all once lived among the sons of disobedience in the passions of our flesh, carrying out desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive. That means taste buds that abhor sin came to life. Taste buds that delight in holiness came to life. That miracle has to happen. We need to be given life, a new heart that's alive to the horror And the outrage of sin and alive to the sweetness of holiness has to come into being. Just before Paul said in Romans 12, abhor what is evil, he said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, that transformation is a gift of God. And so we must cry out for it and desperately long for it and not be cavalier about our deadness to it. And the great thing is God has not left us without clear guidance and strong help as we pursue the gift and the grace of this transformation and this this love for holiness and hatred of sin. God hasn't walked away and left us helpless as if there's nothing we can do. And we just say, well, it's a miracle. I'll just wait till it happens. No. And the main gift that he's given us is his word, the Bible. This is the main instrument that the Holy Spirit uses to give the love of holiness and the hatred of sin. This is the work of the Spirit, and his instrument is the word. You can see this, for example, in Psalm 119. 104 goes like this. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Wow. 
What a therefore. What a therefore. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Hatred for false ways comes through gaining understanding through the precepts of the word of God. And that word functions at two levels. And just mention these. First, it threatens and warns us about the dangers of loving sin and shakes us into seriousness, which the Holy Spirit can use to open our eyes to what's truly valuable. When, when I read this man's words that he said to us, it's as if the scriptures were specifically written to answer him. It's amazing how tailor-made the scriptures are, because here's what he said. He said, every time I do those things that I should not do, they make me feel good in the moment. I don't feel any immediate backlash from God for indulging in it. It's almost like God is giving me a free pass. Wow, what telling words. In the moment, it feels good. No immediate backlash, almost a free pass. In other words, God has taught this man, God has taught this man that the good feeling that comes from sin will not last. He's taught this man that the good feeling is in the moment. He's taught this man that the backlash is not immediate, but it will come. He's taught this man almost it feels like a free pass, but it most certainly is not a free pass. So he knows, he knows the truth. The scriptures are crystal clear. Job 20 verse 5, the exulting of the wicked is short the joy of the godless, but for a moment. James chapter 5, verse 5, to the self-indulgent, you have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. This is coming. It's coming. It's not. It's, there's no way out for the one who loves sin. Paul mentions sexual sins and others and then says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Galatians 5, 21, I warn you, as I warned you before, those who do such things won't enter the kingdom of God. Matthew 5, 29, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. So the word of God is filled with bright red flags waving in this man's face, in all of our faces, telling him and us, stop indulging in sin and make him serious enough that the Holy Spirit might take that seriousness and drive it down deep to the transformation that has to happen, which leads us to the last way that the word works. Not only does it warn us, but the main way that the Holy Spirit uses the word of God to create love for holiness and hatred for sin is by showing us God himself in his infinite worth and beauty and the sufferings of Jesus that he went through to purchase our holiness. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is 
hatred of evil. In other words, when, when the word reveals the infinite value of God and awakens reverent awe of him, the reflex is, I hate evil that is against this God. And Paul puts it positively like this. We all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is the spirit. So transformation into the kind of person who loves holiness and hates evil comes from the Lord who is the spirit. But he does it as we behold the glory of the Lord. So that's what I urge mainly every day, every day, pour over the scriptures, looking for the beauty of Christ and the fearsomeness of God and crying out for a heart that loves holiness and hates sin. Amen. Thank you, Pastor John. It's questions like this one. Uh, even anonymous questions like this one that are incredibly valuable to us in directing this podcast and where we go in the future. So thank you for the many questions that you've sent into us over the years. Please keep. Okay. So, you know, that's one reason why I like to bring in other teachers. Sometimes I was talking to Sarah before we began, but you know, sometimes it's hard to get a point across until people hear more than one person say it. You know, Jesus even said himself that a prophet is not with honor in his own country. And that's why he went to other places to preach the gospel. Sometimes people can get used to people that are talking or they just see a regular person and, well, who are you? Who gave you the authority? Well, maybe that's the way you see it. Maybe other people see it differently. So sometimes it's good to have other teachers that will come up, people that will say things that people can actually get it. Because sometimes people swear as a teacher that you're in your own feelings. You're just a bitter, angry man with nothing, whatever, and you just want to oppress people. But that's not the case. You know, I think it's because it's not being preached enough. I want to actually ask you guys, because I know you guys work with kids for years and everything. And isn't it interesting how you probably had to work with some of the children and tell them things? And like they probably didn't believe it. And then one day they come to you with it and you want to say, that's what I've been telling you. But they finally get it and they're kind of like excited to know about it. So then they try and tell you about it. And you're like, I've been talking about this for months. Like, where were you? You know, but, you know, we have to keep that humility and allow the Lord to work with them. I mean, do you have any experiences or anything you want to say with that? Or? It's actually years. You minister to them and then they soak it in and then their their life actually has application for what you minister. And then like next year, um it's it's like a farmer It's kind of funny, I think about it. You plant the seed in the ground and you reap the harvest next year. And with the kids, you never, you never reap the harvest the same year, and uh, and yeah, you know, so so it's really funny. Mm-hmm. So it's totally like that. I think it's how they do. Anything you saw as a minister, and no matter you know, whatever you have that t- whatever title you have, no no title at all, whatever you're in, so 
the harvest is just going to take a little bit of a dip. That's why Solomon's situation is so tragic because he knew the Lord. The man was full of wisdom, yet he couldn't obey God. You know, that's a rough thing. And that's why we can't allow pleasure to rule over us because if it does, then we're going to find ourselves serving pleasure and not God. You know, and that is just so important. There's something I was going to say about uh, this guy's sermon. Mm-hmm. Um, it says in the word that, you know, keep your life and you will lose it. You lose your life and, gain. Mm-hmm. and for that guy, I mean, obviously that's a straightforward answer for him. Hey, you want to keep your marijuana and porn and drugs? Mm-hmm. You'll keep it, but you lose your life. You mm-hmm. know? Or you want to give it to God and you'll keep it. And um, that verse just clicked in my mind when the Holy Spirit started talking about that verse about how when you keep your own life, in a way you're losing it because life is the presence and, and being the presence of God. Amen. So when you're you're in a way grounding yourself even more on earth and away from heaven by doing those things, mm-hmm. that separates you from God. That's right. So you're losing that the, the true meaning of life. Absolutely. And then when the, you know that judgment day comes, it's like, well, when he sees you, he doesn't see himself. He sees the earth, he sees the worldly ways mm-hmm. compared to other, and, and then there's the other side of that where you give your life up and yeah, dude, sex out of marriage is great, it's awesome, you know. Oh, yeah, marriage that's awesome, but you're giving those things up because you want life, you know, you're you're giving up what your flesh wants, preach, brother, because you want life, that's right, and you're putting those things down and you're saying, I want the life that you have for me, that's right. And then that flesh dies, and then when he comes on, on, you know, on his steed, he's going to look at you and he's see himself. It's, okay, you gave your life mm-hmm. as I have given. You know, and what is love if it's not replicated? You know, it's, if I've given, if I've loved, you love me back. Amen. And that's exactly the sort of thing is you know that's why the guy was mentioning about having understanding. When you understand God, you understand why He hates evil. Yeah. You understand why He hates sin. These things take time for us to understand, to actually get it. How much is life worth? And that's the worst thing we can do as believers is believe that everything in this world is real and it's sustaining us because it only means to do one thing and that is lead you and I, like he said, away from life. When God sees people on judgment day that did not want his purpose and will for their lives, the reason why he can send them away and leave them where they are is because he recognized that they wanted death and not life. So you see, Sam brought up a great point, and this is exactly what it is. You choose death. You've been serving it your whole life. You love the temporal. This is where your heart is. This is what your desire was. This is why you can't bless, you can't praise me. This is why you don't pray before me. This is why my word never meant anything to you, because your desire your whole life was for death and not the life of Christ. Great point, bro. Spirit told me to talk to you. Have you come up here and just start <laughs> teaching, man. Let him know what's what. So this is uh, Pastor Gary Price. I'm going to go to real quick, and then we'll get right back into the lesson. The reason why I want to talk about them and not really get into a lot of what I have is because they're hitting some key points, and I feel like the Spirit is moving right now. Let's hear Pastor Price, and we'll... Uh, that's right. Praise the Lord. And then we'll uh, get back in. Ready? What can really get to you? 
You went six months without cussing, but that last person got you cussing. <laughs> you had a long run. <laughs> it was a long run. I'm holding it back. But see, they hit you at a time you didn't expect, and you started cussing. But I'm cussing. You came to yourself. I was cussing. You know why you was cussing? Because it was in you all along. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You just didn't have the pressure applied yet. See, in this right here, you can look good a long time and make people believe you're a holy man or woman. <laughs> but you squeeze a tube of crest and you're going to get toothpaste. So all God got to do is let the tempter come to squeeze you and you find that toothpaste come out. You can fight off and try to hold that lust all you want. But if somebody get your goat, as they say, if somebody can take you down if you got it in you. See, because you got things built into you that can trigger and you not be conscious of it. Did you not know that women have more nerve endings in their bodies than men at the surface? Sexual, to sexually arouse a man, you basically got to touch and, and interact with his sexual organ. But did you not know a woman's whole body's got nerve endings? That's why women like to be held and touched. And you could just touch her on the shoulder or hold her for a minute. She'll feel confident because she got nerve endings all over. So that lets you know what? Everybody can't be holding on to you. <laughs> you know, you see what I'm saying? You can't just be. I can't be over talking to her yet. Yeah, uh, Jim Miller, you know, like I was saying. Oh, you know, you're dealing, you, you, you got stuff going on. Am I lying? No. See, so everybody said, no, he ain't lying. You got a speedy mouth. But see, that's what's going on. And that's a biological fact. You got more nerve endings all over you. So you can't have nobody just rubbing your back, talking to you. I ain't seen you in a long time. How you been doing? I can do it to my wife. I'm legal. Yeah, you, you looking good in that blue. I can look like Dan out in the lobby doing all that. Then what you doing, Dan? Stop, boy. You can ready to start killing a fire that you didn't expect here, boy. You better get a water hose over there or something. But what am I saying? You can't go somewhere pretending and get into a trap to stimulate yourself because you can get out there and the next thing you know, you out there in a bed of fornication because you set yourself up deceiving yourself. Yeah. It was just one kiss. One kiss can turn into a lot of things. One kiss can turn into little Ernie Jr. <laughs> <laughs> this is real life up in there. See, this is why the, this is why the religion folk don't like us. See, religion folk don't like this because it's real. This is the wheelhouse. Well, I ain't talking about all that because I talk about real life, practical application. It's the biological fact that you got these nerve endings into you and you can't let nobody just touch you and interact with you physically because you go, I'm immune to all that. You can believe that if you want to. The fine guy on the third floor was fine on Friday. You got saved on Saturday. You're going to still be fine on Monday. You're not going to walk here like you're the woman of steel, Wonder Woman now. I'm saved. No, that joke is still fine like he was on Friday evening on Monday morning. 
You got to know that. You got to know that you were attracted to the guy all along. And you got to know that it's something about him that kind of rings your bell like a needle wool. You got to know that. You got to know who attracts you. That's how you keep yourself what? Pure and saved. Don't be trying to walk around like you above all that. I'm, you know, Jesus in the flesh or somebody. No, man. You need the Holy Ghost as, as a governor to keep you. This is real life over here. Fine Tina on the second floor, still fine on Monday morning. And Tina like to show y'all she fine. And Tina ain't playing with you. She wasn't playing Friday evening. You got saved on Saturday. Tina still ain't playing Monday morning. And you over there trying to rub up Tina's shoulder. I told you all them, all them nerve in this, man. Stop playing with the devil because the devil will seem like he's playing with you and laughing. That joker will take your head off. Laughing at you while he's pulling that machete to hack you to death. Don't play with the devil. Look at this. He says they won't endure. They won't put up with sound doctrine. But after their own what? Their own lust, their own desire, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. If you got an itch, what are you looking for? Somebody to scratch you. I'm trying to find something that does what? Soothes me. And it's based on my own what? My own lust. What am I being led by? Not by the love of God, but my own lust to soothe me. So I'll keep searching until somebody says something that identifies with my lust. And then I'll say, what? That's right right there. That's the same thing I thought. Homosexuality is not a sin. God loves everybody. Amen. You see how the devil's doing this? My own lust is searching for a gospel that will validate my lust. And I got itching ears. And I'm going to find myself a scratcher. And the devil's got thousands of them to tell you just what you want to hear. Don't go to what you want to hear. You better design an appetite in you that seeks after what? Truth. No matter how it makes me feel. You know what's wrong with people? They don't have an appetite for truth because they base their relationship with God on how they feel about the truth. So don't let the truth come as an objective source that, that accosts them and deals with them. They examine the truth afar based on how they feel about it. I don't like how it made me feel, so it ain't the truth. That's a brutal delusion that will send you to hell. I don't like how it made me feel. Guess what is deceiving you? That your feelings can be changed. You know how I many people listening to me by live stream right now didn't like this when they first heard it? Shake your head, yell on live stream right now. Shake your head, yeah. You know it's the truth. You heard the first time you said, I know that ain't right. Some of y'all sitting right here, you know how I many people are trying to leave this the center right now? They done thought about it the house. I got to find me somewhere to go. I'm tired of getting beat down by that word. I'm sick of this mess. No, man, it ain't going to change. It's going to beat you back at the house. That's all. Because if somebody tells you the truth, it's going to keep on doing what? Doing what? Resonating in your ears. You can't, you can't shake the truth. 
Somebody will tell you the truth. You can run all you want. Guess what's going to go with you? The truth. And until you acknowledge it and bow down to it, your life's going to be a living hell. I don't have to worry about it. That's why I know it's on automatic. I just tell it, and it's going to take care of itself. You can't override the truth. Fantasies die. Fables go away. The truth is everlasting. He's eternal. It's a person. You shall know the truth, and he the truth, Jesus Christ, will make you free if you yield to him. So you see now, they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust, they will heap to themselves teachers trying to scratch that itching in their ears. This is ugly right here now. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Look how they don't stay neutral. You can't turn away from the truth and stay neutral. You're going to turn from the truth to a lie. It's happening all over the place. And then you try to justify where well, we have a Bible study in my house and my cousin Leroy from Alaska is teaching us by way of the internet. <laughs> they can't tell demons? Well, no, he said demons ain't real. Well, you might as well just data dump that right now because he's full of them by telling you that they're not real. But you tried to find something to soothe your sin and soul by looking for somebody to scratch that itch in your ears because your own lust was looking for a way out. What's doing that? The demons and the souls. You got to understand, we live in a demon-infested world. Everything you deal with that's contrary to God is inspired by demons. You got to know that so you'll stop wondering, what's wrong with them? I'm telling them as plain as I can speak, and they just sit there with that stupid look on their face, grinning, sipping that Hennessy, crazy. What? It's a demon. Demons are very conversational. Demons dress real well. They wear cologne and perfume. Their weave is immaculate, draping down to the left and right of the head and curls. Beautiful. The face is beat with the makeup. The outfit is gorgeous. The Mary McFadden dress. It's a demon. A well-dressed demon. Articulate, college-educated, making six figures, and it's a demon. Brilliant speaker, great orator, orator, can captivate an audience. It's a demon. Obama was good. That's a demon. Bill Clinton, good demon. Hillary, demon. And you're sitting there just captivated. Michelle Obama, she came to town. I got my book signed and everything. Demon. Oprah, she came in town last week. Did y'all see? Demon. You wanted to be on saying Jay-Z concert? Demons. Lil Wayne was demon. Kim Kardashian gonna be downtown at the demon. They worship the demons. Now, what I just said, this makes people mad. Why you got to name these people? Everybody can be saved. Everybody a child of God. Why are you pointing them out? You're a demon protecting the demons. Amen. You're irritated by the fact that I mentioned the demons because the demons in the people have infected you and you protect them by nature since you're a part of their entourage. See, this is the analysis they hate. 
The fact that the problem is where? Internally in me. I've been invaded by these unclean spirits yoking me to the gods of this world, which are unclean spirits. And I've given myself over to them so they control my mind, my will and my emotions and my feelings. And I feel some kind of a way if anybody mentions them. I might not have gotten to your particular demon ruler today, but if I hit them, it'll, you'll feel the reverberations inside of yourself. Whether it be Led Zeppelin, Rolling Stones, you know, Halle Berry, Miley Cyrus, Kim Kardashian, uh, Nicki Minaj, Cardi B, Drake. I'll find your demon for you, and you'll begin to jump around inside when I mention them. <laughs> People don't like this. It irritates them. If I mention the religious demons, they really get irate because they think that's a man or woman of God. You see, you know how you can check this? If you are not infatuated by an unclean spirit, if somebody mentions somebody, it don't bother you. Somebody come to Mallory and say, you go over there with price them. You know, price ain't nothing but the devil. If it don't bother her, she's free. But if she got to defend me, she bound by something. You tell them, I ain't studying price. You neither. I ain't thinking about no price. Because they're trying to get to you thinking that you got some kind of a faithfulness to a person. And you ain't got no allegiance or faithfulness to no person. I'm in this thing with the Lord. Now, if you talk about the Lord, you might get a response. But see how they try to pull you out to try to make believe like, see, you caught up in somebody. You know why they do that? Because all your life, Mallory, you've been a fool that I control. And I know if I don't control you, you're so dumb that somebody else got control of your mind because you ignorant anyway. And I made a fool out of you for so long that if you're not still under my control, that fool in that pulpit now put a whammy on you, controlling your mind. You probably sleeping with that joker. Now, yeah, yeah, I know you are, Mallory. I know you're a track record. You up in there doing something. That's how they are. That's how they are. He, uh, so, you know, that's Pastor Price. And, you know, what he said is 100% the truth. That if we find ourselves hooked to anything other than Christ, you're bound. Someone should be able to say anything. Mm -hmm about this world. I'm not saying if someone's reputation is being tainted and you know the truth, that it may help a person, you can speak it, but it's about how it makes you feel when you do so. All you may be doing is clearing something up and telling the truth. But you see, when it bothers you, when you've got to defend it and go crazy, then something's wrong. Even when Christians among themselves fight against themselves, okay? And then you think about the fact that they can hear people blaspheme Jesus and say absolutely nothing, your heart's in the wrong place. And that's why we got to get to the place of giving everything to Christ and not giving in to our pleasures. What he said is 100% true. A lot of people will defend a brother or somebody else that they know, but they won't even stand for Christ. So how could we be Christians? Let's go to Luke 8 and let's look at verse 9. Luke chapter 8 and 9. How do you approach that verse? Welcome to a conversation about casting out demon doubt. Casting out demon doubt? Yeah, you know, mm -hmm. like, for example, if they're defending someone else with a demon, mm -hmm. I mean, do, do you just pretty much 
say what he said. And he's like, bro, that's a demon. I think you've got to be upfront. You know, you've got to be really upfront because I remember like even when people were early in this ministry that they had issues and they would ask me, is something true or is it not true? I gave them the straight truth. Hey, man, this is evil. This is not right. And they, you know, they might have bothered them. But when they heard the truth, they began to believe it and they became transformed by it. I think you got to approach that situation like Jesus. Like when he told Peter, you know, get thee behind me, say, and thou art an offense unto me, because thou savorest the things that be of men and not of God. But I think that you've got to address that spirit because some people need sobering up. Most people don't even realize in most cases that they are taken over by demons. A lot of people don't even realize it's a demon that's promoting their thinking. I don't know how many crowds you guys have taught in front of, but I'll tell you for the ones I have, you can see the demons manifest in the individual. All you got to do is speak the truth. If you mention something that somebody's hooked to in the world, it's so funny that you'll see the person actually, you know, and then they start grilling you. I mean, looking at, like, you can tell something is manifesting, but the reason for that is they're hooked to something that's not of God. So what do we do? Preach the truth anyway. And by the end of the day, you see like the glaze come off their eyes and they actually will, you get them back. They become normal. Hey, good sermon, whatever. But you're constantly trying to free people of demons, even yourself, you know, from the infestations of the world. I think you got to tell them, give them the gospel, because when you attack with the gospel, you know, you use spiritual words to deal with spiritual enemies. And I think you set people free like that when you do that. You've got to tell people the truth. Pastor Price said that, you know, if you want any atmosphere to be clean, all you've got to do is tell the truth. Yeah. And people will automatically abandon themselves from it because they don't want to be a part of it. So, you know, for all those who, who love the gospel, they love the truth. And I think sometimes you just got to tell brothers that because I go through that a lot where people are willing to fight me over something. And I'm sitting there saying, are we on the same side or not? You know, because what you're defending is worldly. Yes, sir. That goes actually along with what you said earlier about how the TV evangelists usually, like, used to actually save people. Well, they didn't save, but they preached the Holy Ghost, like Mm -hmm. Bach and others. But if you think about it, when they were preaching against demons, you know, as a whole, Back in, you know, the 80s, before the 90s came along, people were hungering and thirsting, saying, I want these demons cast out of me. I want to get filled with the Holy Ghost. Once the 90s came around and that lukewarm gospel started being preached, it's now reversed. Mm-hmm. It is very few ministries that are actually teaching repentance of sin, getting mm-hmm. filled with the Holy Ghost, mm-hmm. and getting those demons cast out of you. Because mm-hmm. Satan wants a demon-infested so-called Christian. Absolutely. Why do you think people follow Joe Olstein? I mean, all he's doing is telling them pleasure. That's all he's doing. And people will sit there and cheer him on week after week because they have not grown up. They're still children going after youthful lust, desiring the things of this life and have never met Jesus Christ yet. A lot of people will do this, you know, when they try and bring worldly stuff into the church and say, that's the way we minister. No, the same gospel that saved you and I will save them. You've got to preach the truth. But a lot of people don't want that because they want pleasure. To me, somebody that's ruled by pleasure, you may as well be a baby in a diaper playing around with a little rattle. 
it comes a point where you've got to grow up and serve God. And some people don't grow up to the place of, it's one thing if we got sin in our lives and we're trying to be delivered from it. It's another thing, man, to sit up under the gospel and not know what you believe and not know what's true. A lot of those people are blown around and tossed. They don't know what the gospel is. We've got to get to the place of finding Christ, believing his word and resting on that regardless of what you hear from other people. But man, a lot of people get blown around. They don't know what they believe. That's sad if you call yourself a Christian. So let's look at Luke 8. Let's look at verse 9. Luke 8 and 9. He says, everybody there, he says, and his disciples asked him saying, what might this parable be? And he said unto you, it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables, that seeing they might not see and hearing they might not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear, uh, then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. I'm gonna tell you another thing along with that pleasure, that love doctrine, is also pleasurable to the soul because you know what? You go through your whole experience with Christ, never having to tell anybody the truth because you don't want to offend. You see, that's the biggest lie going on today. Jesus tells us how to love and what to what we're supposed to do, but love is never void of truth. But a lot of people will get the word and the devil can take it away. A lot of people, when they preach the gospel to others, are intimidated by people that don't believe the truth. So, you know, if we're not made whole in Christ, we're going to be unstable souls. That's why I'm telling people, uh, look at that teaching we did uh, yesterday. But It's called Beguiling Unstable Souls. But what you see in many cases is people might know the truth. They go out to try and preach the gospel. And they tell it to somebody that might have a stronger personality than them. So that person will get offended or start riffing or getting angry with you. And then you find yourself compromising because you don't want to be rejected. That's messed up. My thing is, if you don't believe the truth and you don't want Jesus, you don't want me. Go on. But one thing we've got to cling to is Christ. So he says, now this parable is oh, I'm at, oh, verse 13. They on the rock are they which, uh, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, which for a while believe and in time of temptation fall away. So you see, we've got to allow ourselves to be rooted and grounded in Christ. Okay, the same way we dedicated our lives to all the pleasures that we have. I mean, think about it. Who's going to put themselves $250,000 in debt to get an education if you don't believe in it? So if you're willing to do that and put yourself through that, why can't you give God the same commitment? I think even if you gave God 50% of what you gave the world, you know, God could work with you. But we don't realize in many cases how little we give God because we're carried away by pleasure and we don't believe. It's not even money. It's like time. Exactly. Your life that you just gave up. Mm -hmm. How much time do you spend trying to pay it back? Mm -hmm. It's your whole life. Absolutely. Racking your brain over final staying up late. I mean, man, if we could only treat God this way, if we could only pray before the Lord like that, if it was only that important to you, man, what could God get done in you? That's what we got to think about. With that money, you go like five churches in Indonesia. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. like you could have done 
something reputably crazy. Yeah, absolutely true, bro. You are so right, man. But you see, this person in time of temptation, they'll fall away because it was all fun and games. They didn't get rooted. They did not believe. Look at verse 14. And that which fell among the thorns are they, which when they heard go forth and are choked with the cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. So here's what we got to recognize concerning this. The parables are great that the Lord is teaching us, but how many times has he told you and I that we're in his vineyard and we're all trees? If he's, if the father, which is God the father, is the husbandman, then he's watching our progress. What we've got to do is cling to Christ. But he says at the end of the cares of this life and the pleasures and riches, he says you bring no fruit to perfection. So you become incomplete. You see, if we recognize that we are trees before Christ, then what we will want to do is reach our fullness. We want to get to the place that we can bear fruit. If someone were to tell you it was an apple tree and the thing's been there 30 years and you never saw any apples on it, can you believe it? It can't be authentic. That's not an apple tree. How do you know? Because it would bring forth apples. If we call ourselves Christians and we're full of Christ, we have got to be authentic in order to bring forth Christ. Where's our disciples? Where's our evidence that we've been saved? Either we're alive or we're dead trees. If we're alive, we're going to bring forth the manifestation of the fruit that Christ said we should have. And if not, then we are dead and we need to be born again, new seeds in the ground so that we can grow for Christ. If trees are not in their right conditions for growth, then they will their growth, their growth will be stunted. We've got to make sure that we stay with Christ that we can grow to fullness. Picture yourself as a tree. Now, some people may say, what I'm preaching is false gospel, but this is not true. If you are a tree before the Lord, then he wants to see production. Have you ever seen a tree halfway built, I mean, halfway grown, where the thing has grown up? You got a big trunk there, but you got no branches or nothing, no leaves. That's not possible, okay? That's a tree that's been cut off. But if we're gonna reach the fullness of Christ, we got to really cling to him until we see the fruit grown in Christ. Now, I know when I bring this up, people will say, well, you know, well, that's the way you see it. It all takes time. Yeah, okay, but when are you going to allow yourself to be up under the process for God to grow these fruit? That's what it's about. Because if you argue it takes time, that means you're not even serious. Because if you are, then you'll say, you know what? Let me get right with God. Get my house in order so that he can grow in me. If your defense is it takes time, I would have to ask you, what does it? Everything takes time. You didn't say that when you were going after your degree. You didn't say that when you were going after your career or when you dated a woman for years that you wanted to marry. You didn't say that took time. You went on the process to get what you needed so that you could reap the benefits. It's the same way with God. All trees are not gonna grow at the same pace but we've all got to be connected to him to be fruitful. Because what God is expecting to see at the end of time is Christ in you. And if we not, if we have not grown to the fullness of the measure of the stature of what Christ is looking for for you and I, then I don't even wanna finish that sentence. The bottom line is every good tree, as he said, 
If it brings forth not fruit, it will be hewn down and cast into the fire. We've got to give it to Christ so that he can work in us. But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, you see that? Having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. So things will definitely take patience to get things going. But are we in the process? Do we even desire this? Do we even want to please the Lord? Is it great great pleasure to us to please the Lord? I'll tell you about five years ago, the first soul that I ever went to Christ gave me the desire to want to continue. That's where I find pleasure. Now, of course, I'm not as successful as I would like to be, but these things take time. But there's a great joy in telling people about the gospel, you know, and people, you can see that light in their eyes where they say, you know what, man, how do I get saved? That's a beautiful thing when you can turn people to Jesus. That's the pleasure I have in my life. That's why I spend time trying to do something every day in Christ and keep him in mind with me because he's my pleasure. I may work, but I don't care nothing about work. I don't care nothing about money. All I do is what he wants me to do with it. That's my primary concern. But if he is not your first love, then your pleasures will be anything but Christ. And we can't have that. Not if we want to make it. Yeah, because you go throughout your day and you think, like, you just see people like manifesting demons. Mm-hmm. And, but if you have this thought of, okay, like, that's a demon, it's so clear everything that's going on throughout your mm-hmm. day. Like, I've been in a situation, like, somebody's actually possessing it, it almost crashed right into me while directly looking at me in the eyes. Mm-hmm. And my window was up there, window was up, and I was like, like I, was, I don't know how I did it, but I was like, in Jesus' name, stop. And that person mm-hmm. just like came to a, a mm-hmm. complete halt because I was able to to, to have authority. Over took the authority demon. over the demon. And yeah. The guy didn't hear me. All the windows were out, and it was mm-hmm. sealed up. But the demon heard you. The demon, exactly. It was spiritual. <laughs> That's right. But then you can go throughout your day, and I was just thinking about it. You can just sit there and say, "Oh, hey, that person came to this. Oh, hey." I understand. And it's like, you're totally just like demons when you over. That's right. That's right. And it's nothing to do with you being understanding or opinion. It's it's like, that's just the devil getting his will with steel, kill, and destroy. That's it. Amen. And that's why the devil, you know, is really taking a lot of the fight out of the church is because what many people believe a Christian is, he's not. You know, a lot of people think we just walk around singing songs and we just act like we're cheerful. And somehow people are supposed to see that in us and desire Christ. You've got to break down strongholds. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We've got to go to bat with demons to set souls free. But you don't just sit there and just hug on the devil. You think you're going to love him to death? You don't show love to Jesus by showing affection to Jesus. You show love to Christ by what? Obeying him. So you've got to do what he tells us to do that we can be, you know, in good standing with the Lord. Let's look at Titus chapter three and look at verse one. Titus three and one. I mean, we even said in that last Luke eight fifteen, um, when it landed on good ground, when you hear where you keep it too, so it goes right with when you love God, you obey. I will never say that some people are, you know, born to hear the truth. 
But I'll tell you one thing, it certainly seems like it. Even though I know that's not true, I know that a lot of people will hear lies until they receive the truth, but it's a funny thing you see in the nature of people at times where you've got some that when you tell them the truth, it's like they're ready to hear it. And then there's others, man, you can fight, claw and scratch and they can say they believe. And then you talk to them months later and they're right back in the same spot. It's like, man, do you have a love for the truth or not? I'm not talking about struggling with sin. I'm talking about what we believe. Man, you know, we got to get to the place of knowing what we believe, because that's the only thing you can stand on. You can't stand on Christ if you don't believe he's your sure foundation. Great point by Sam. The Lord was showing me that just this week that, you know what? Jesus didn't struggle to win a soul, one, because he was full of the spirit, but two, he obeyed the father and the spirit of where to go and who to talk to. I realize if you obey the people, if you obey God to talk to the people he wants, you'll win about two souls every day. I'm not even kidding. There are some people, and it's funny that God keeps directing me to the people that you're looking like. Man, I don't don't know, Lord, because this person seems like they're out of their minds. But when you go and talk to them, it's like, man, so effortless. Where's your number? Where can I go? How can I get there? Yeah, I'm willing to give my life to Christ. But the people you think are going to receive them, it never happened. Why? Because you're looking at it through your eyes and not the eyes of Christ. He loves to put us in difficult situations so we can trust him. Thank you, Lord. So this is Titus 3. Let's look at verse 1. He says, put them in mind and be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to, to, uh, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers but gentle, shewing all meekness unto all men. We, for we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, uh, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our savior towards man appeared. So you see, when Jesus came, he was between two elements. One was grace and the other was truth. I mean, well, you know, grace and the law, you may as well say. He, he came in the middle of grace and law. And when that happened, there was a clash because the people didn't understand that God is here to save the world, not to try and uphold and look righteous, knowing on the inside we're dying. We got to give it to him. Look at verse five. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Christ Jesus, our Savior. And that's why it would do us some good to really do a study and understand what grace is. Grace is unmerited favor. That means we didn't earn it. There was nothing that we could have done to have it. But when we understand what grace is, I mean, that's a chance to get it right. That's God stopping time in the middle and saying, you know what? I'm going to give you a chance to get to know me. I'm going to give you a chance to grow in me. So at the time of my coming, you will be prepared. People don't look at grace that way. People look at grace as it's a, it's a free pass to sin. 
well, since I can't be judged by the law, then I'm just going to fool around until I feel like it. But if we understood the importance of grace and how it's in the middle of God's coming back in his judgment and what we would have been judged in the law without mercy, it would give you a greater appreciation to want to live every day for Christ. Grace is a beautiful thing, man, because without it, none of us would get to Christ. So anyway, he says in verse eight, this is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. So some people can say, is it any kind of good works? No, it's the good works of God. It's the good works of the spirit. We have done teachings on good things and God things. Every good thing is not a God thing. What do I mean by that? Just because there's a need doesn't mean that it's your call to do it. Just because you see that something might be need, that might need to be done doesn't mean God told you to do it. So you see, obedience to God is good. And it's not just, you know, baking cookies for your neighbors. I mean, that may be something you can do, but that's a good thing. But is it a God thing? Only God knows. God may say that person's got diabetes. They don't need any more cookies. Okay, so we got to understand that to have favor with God is to obey him. Look at verse nine. But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. A man that is inherited after the first and second admonition rejects. Now, you know how many people sit up under pastors teaching all kinds of lies, and they still won't reject it. They'll still like hang out there when these things can have an effect on us. Look at verse 11. Knowing that he that is such is subverted, that is such is subverted and sinneth being condemned of himself. When I shall send Artemis and unto thee Tychicus, uh, be diligent to come unto me and Nicopolis, uh, for I have determined uh, there to winter. Bring Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their journey diligently that nothing be wanting unto, unto them. And let ours also learn to maintain good works for, ne for necessary uses that they be not unfruitful. So, you know, here's a, a thing that we've got to pay attention to is when it talks about to maintain unto good works, I personally believe this is connecting with your God. There is no greater work that you can do than to be ready, prayerful, fasted and prayed up to be with God and to hear his instruction. That's important. All that are with me, salute thee, Great that, uh, greet them that love us in the faith. Grace be with you all, amen. So I wanna go to one more place before I close. I wanna go to Philippians chapter three. Let's go to Philippians three and let's begin at verse one. But you know, there are countless, um, things about lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. That's uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And then there is, you know, the enmity with God and asking for things upon your lust. That's James 4. Then it talks about in Hebrews 3, why some didn't get into the land is because they allowed themselves to be taken over by the deceitfulness of sin. So sin is quite deceitful. 
That's why we've got to cling to the Lord. And 2 Thessalonians 2 talks about the pleasure in unrighteousness that we have to forsake in order to follow God. I also did have one other place to go. It just hit me with that. Where did I say go? Philippians 3. All right, Philippians 3, forget verse 1. Let's go to, uh, let's look at verse 13. Philippians 3 and verse 13, he says, Brethren, I count not myself to do um, to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of an high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul said earlier in this chapter that he attained many things. He had all this wisdom and knowledge, but he counted all those things as dung that he might win Christ. So you think Paul understood what this was about? Absolutely. So he says, forget the things that are behind and go for those things that are before. Because he says the high calling of God is Christ Jesus. That's what this is about. Verse 15 says, let us therefore, as many as perfect, as many as be perfect, uh, be thus minded. And if anything be, ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. So you see how some people take their faith serious and others are thinking, well, you know, you can have your best life now. Paul is saying we need to have the same rule and to think of the same things. Why? Because we are one body. He says, brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have um, us for an example. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. So everything that Paul names, anything that keeps you from getting on that cross and dying out to self to give your life to Christ is the enemy of the cross of Christ. Now, when some people say enemies, they look externally, but they don't look internally. There are a lot of internal things that keep us from serving God, like our own lust, things that we want. Some people value their marriages more than God. Some people marriage work. I mean, they, they uh, love work more than they love God. There's a lot of things that keep you and I from dying out to self. And what Paul is saying here, those things that keep you and I from dying out to self and giving it all to Christ, those are the enemies of the cross of Christ. You remember we did that teaching two years ago. And it says, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, and who mind earthly things. So this tells you something about those who are the enemy of the cross. Their God is their belly. What are they giving over to? Pleasure, okay? When God's telling you to fast, you're trying to pick up as much food as possible, and whose glory is in their shame. So that means not only do they commit unrighteousness, they have pleasure in unrighteousness. And it says, who mind earthly things. How many times have we heard from Paul and the Lord, set your affections above, not on things on the earth. It's not because God doesn't want you to enjoy your life, 
God knows these things are meaningless. Use what you need to use for the time being, but let everything be undone. For our conversation, meaning like lifestyle, is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So if we give it to Christ, we will be up under Christ. He will be that sure foundation, that chief cornerstone, everything that we need to sustain. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having money, but it's all about what the money means to you. Because if the money for you is just to get through life and serve the Lord, then, you know, get all the money you can. But if you love money, the Bible says that's the root of all evil. And this is why a lot of people's hearts depart from the Lord because of what they can have in this life. Last scripture of the night, guys, I promise. Let's go to Ecclesiastes 12 and let's look at verse one. I'll tell you, man, there's been guys in your personal time or whenever be in prayer because the devil is, is really trying to attack this ministry and trying to use witchcraft to do it. What happened on Sunday was pretty bizarre. You know, the devil showed up here, tried to stop us in so many ways. We all prayed, praised the Lord and everything. You can hear an entity leave and go down the steps. <laughs> you know, I mean, the devil will try and do what he can do to try and stop us. But we must be reminded that we are at war. Devil is everywhere. This is Ecclesiastes 12. Let's look at verse 1. He says, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. So he's making clear, before you even get to the end of your life, guys, remember your creator in your youth, before the evil days come, before all the lust and all these things try and come upon us. Because you're gonna get to a place in your life if you, if you live old enough, you're not going to enjoy this. You're going to almost know it's time for you to be somewhere else. And I think that's what it is. I've got to remember at times, like when I'm speaking to some people, that they still have youthful lust. So they may understand some of what you're saying, but they don't really get it because they haven't really gone through the first circle. But when you've gone through things in life and you've had possessions and you've done all this, it means nothing to you because you realize when you had it, it didn't do anything for your relationship with the Lord. I'll give you an example, man. I remember when I first started working on Wall Street, man, I was so conceited that I just thought if I wear my little New York Stock Exchange badge on my shirt, that everybody would know that I belong to the New York Stock Exchange. Make six figures, get bonuses, go in the stores knowing that people are gonna think you're a thief. And then you turn to your friends and say, man, don't they even know that I'm about to be a broker, that I'm doing all this stuff? See, I thought I was somebody, but then the Lord opened your eyes to, you were involved in criminal activity working on that floor, doing insider trading for people that were trading. I didn't do it personally, but I'm sure I assisted in it. But when you go over your life and you realize, man, I have money, there's nothing to gain. I've gone where I wanted to go and I thought I was gonna feel like I wanted, but I didn't. 
You know, those guys are on the floor 40 and 50 years with a $150 a day Coke habit, four mortgages, kids way out of wedlock, you know, and I mean all sorts of things. And they're still down there working a slave to their money. Man, once you've seen what life has to offer, you don't care about it. Someone's degree doesn't impress you. How much they're going to pay you a year means nothing to you. Man, that's your high. That's not mine. I'm giving my life to Christ because I realize this is all foolishness. But you see, no one can understand that until they get to the end of their road and they recognize, you know something, even with all this, I'm still lacking. Ask the people in Hollywood. Why do you think they kill themselves and they get doped up on drugs? Man, fame and fortune ain't what it's cracked up to be. These people know that, that they're dying and they're crying inside. They need Christ. So look at verse two. He says, while the sun or the light or the moon or the stars be not darkened, nor the clouds return after the rain. In a day when the keepers of the house shall tremble and the strong men shall bow themselves uh, and the grinders cease because they are few and those that look out of the window be darkened the windows be dark. And this is kind of scary because he's talking about the keepers of the house and he's talking about that they will tremble. You know, nothing is scarier than being on your deathbed, not knowing where you're going to spend eternity. He says, and the strong men shall bow themselves and the grinders cease because they are few and those that look out of the windows be darkened. You know what this is also about? The coming of Jesus Christ. Remember how he said some will be grinding at the mill, some taken, the other left. Some will be doing this and that, some taken, the others left. He's talking about the end of it all. Look at verse four. And the door shall be shut in the streets when the sound of the grinding is low, and he shall rise up at the voice, I mean, uh, at the voice of the bird, and all the daughters of sick shall be brought low. I mean, music, sorry. All the daughters of music shall be brought low. Also, when they shall be afraid of that which is high, and fear shall be in the way, and the almond tree shall flourish, and the grasshopper shall be burdened, and desire shall fail, because man goeth to his long home, and the mourners go about the streets. This is talking about, you know, the end of your life, your funeral, mourners in the streets, man going to his long home. That's eternity. And where are you going to spend it? It depends on whether pleasure is your God or Jesus Christ is your Lord. That's what exactly. You're going into eternity. Oh, wow. That's where you're going to spend. Wherever the tree falls at this point, it will remain. So we better make sure that we're in good standing with the Lord. He says, or ever the silver cord be loosed or the golden bowl be broken or the pitcher be broken at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. You know, Solomon had a lot more knowledge than, than a lot of people understand. A lot of new agers would understand what this term is because they do astral projection. But see, what people need to understand is when your silver cord breaks, that's the disconnecting from your soul, you know, and, and your spirit from your body. That means all things go back to God. A lot of these uh, astral projectors and witches, they go and they they leave, they know how to leave the body 
and fool around with That's demons and even go into other people's homes and do things. Who Anna listens to, John Ramirez, knows all about this. This man used to leave his body and go and war against the church and other people. So you see, Solomon understood that when your silver cord is loosed, because those people travel, but they travel with their cord connected. But when that cord is severed, you're going into eternity. So this is what he's talking about. So look at verse seven. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Look at verse eight, vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, all is vanity. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge, yea, he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find out uh, acceptable words and that which was written was upright, even words of truth. This is what we've been talking about tonight. What does the truth mean to us? Look at verse 11. The words of the wise are as goads and the nails fastened by the masters of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. And further by these, my son, be admonished of making many books where is no end and much study is a weariness of the flesh. So you can't know it all. You can make as many books as you want and all these things, but if you know not God, that just wears you. You know how many people like, man, in their 50s going back to school for more degrees? How much are you trying to figure out here? You know, I mean, you better get to the good book that will give you what you need so you can move on. But some people really do feel like, I got to go back. I got to get another degree. So you spent most of your life in school, in debt and still dumb as a box of rocks when it comes to Christ. This is what we better know and understand. You may know a lot of things like the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but as our brother Sam brought forward tonight, disconnecting from the tree of life is really everything. And they went after knowledge and lost it all. I mean, you think about that. They were already made in God's image and likeness. They could have asked God for anything they wanted to know. They were that connected with the Lord, but they went after knowledge and lost it all. It's crazy how much people choose that. Mm -hmm. And it's like when you confront them, you know, at age 40, 50, mm -hmm. they're like, oh, well, you know, I just didn't know. It's like, no. How did you not know? That's right. 40, 50 years. That's right. And, and I'm sure. Joke. Absolutely. And I'm sure the Lord sent maybe to a 50 year old person. Man, maybe a hundred ministers, man. I mean, even if they turn on the TV and heard something, you know, God has tried to talk to people all their lives and people will just overlook it. And these are Christians that, um, it's, mm -hmm. like it's, it's like they're Christian, but they haven't realized the, the weight of the gospel mm -hmm. in 50 years. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and then they see us and they're like, wow. And it's like, you got 40 years on this, man. What do you mean, wow? You're right. You're right. And that's got to be religion that's blocking the life yeah. of Christ. Because you, if you do something by routine and you don't even know why, and you're not even reaping the benefits of the fruit, what's the point in being there? Who's going to go to school for 100 years and never get a degree and never graduate from it? So you see, you've got to get to the place of growing in Christ to be used of him. You mean not just knowing for the rest of 
Exactly. Like, regardless of what the Lord is doing in us, man, we shouldn't be satisfied. I want the book of Acts. I want to do when Jesus says that many will do things even greater than I did than I was here. I'm looking to the Lord to uphold that promise. Why? Because I've made myself available for him. That's by this time you should have been should have been teachers, but you still have need that someone teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. That's how you're supposed to come in. There's going to come a point where, man, God is calling you to be a teacher, to know this stuff by now. Yeah, fruit, fruit spoils. And if you don't use the fruit that God sowed into you, mm -hmm. it's just going to spoil. Mm -hmm. That's right. You're absolutely right, man. So look at verse 13. He said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. He said everything from verse 1 in chapter 1 unto the end in verse 13. He says, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So do you see like, you know, part time in there or, you know, when you feel like it or maybe, man, this is the whole duty of man is to keep the commandments of God. You know who you heard this from? An old fool. Okay, I don't mean to call Solomon a fool, but the point I'm making here is this was a man full of knowledge and wisdom of God, and he couldn't even forsake his pleasure. This man was the wisest man to walk the earth before Christ that knew God, but could not stop his sin, so much so that he fell away. So you see, and I don't mean to call him a fool, but any man that does not hearken unto the wisdom of God is foolish. The Bible makes that point. So it says in verse 14, for God shall bring every work into judgment, which every secret thing, whether it be good, or whether it, with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. So God has your resume. And the last thing that I wanna give to God is, you know what, Lord, um, you know, I went to school for 20 years and you know I did all these things and I did all this and that. And none of that's going to matter. You better get a degree in Christ. Get a degree in knowing him. Live for him. Because you see, what people don't understand is anything that we try and get here is really something given by man. Man tells you you're a master. So the question would be, who's his master? Man tells you you're a doctor. So who would be his doctor? This is all man understanding. But what we want is the richness of Christ. I'm not downplaying getting a degree. Don't let it stop you from knowing Christ because that's all that's going to matter. Yeah, and, uh, when you get a degree in Christ, it applies in every part of your life. When you're raising your kids, when you're married, when it's just, you just can't, you can't ever. I mean, I was in the middle of the ocean the other day. I was like, man, my both clips, I believe Jesus walked on water. That's right, man. Because nothing else is going to save you. Exactly. You know, exactly. exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. No, it's so true. We've got to give it all to Christ. You got something? Yeah. You got something? Or no, no okay. but I, I was trying to make the point that even like when I was in school and bound to doing homework and everything, I just remember looking back and thinking, wow, even though this is like I chose to go to school, so that was a choice, but all this homework I'm being forced to do, how much my heart would rather be doing spending this time with God and studying, mm -hmm. you know, with the spirit and mm -hmm. being with him and just yearning for that, you mm -hmm. know, that time with him. And so I guess that's just God speaking to me and you know, keep going back to that. So you are spending time with him. 
Absolutely. <laughs> That's why they say ignorance is bliss. Because you see, if you don't know the truth, you can live your life and not have a care in the world. You know something's wrong, but you would just assume that's life. But if you're a Christian going through this thing, man, your heart cries out for the Lord every day. You know that there's chains around your heart and all you want to be is set free. So, you know, that's the lesson for tonight. You know, I just want to tell people, if you know you're not saved, give your life to Jesus Christ, repent of your sins and come and confess the things that you've done wrong before him. Turn away from sin. Give your life to Jesus. Believe in his shed blood, his death, burial, and resurrection. Seek him because that is the only true gift and pleasure that man should have. Adam didn't ask God for anything. Adam had it all. And Adam lost it because he took a gift from someone else that wasn't God. Ignorance only for a season. That's right. Yeah. Even Solomon had to work for everything he had. You know, mm-hmm. he worked hard for it and he labored, but mm-hmm. our God can provide it without us. Yeah, I see King God and his wife Men, let's go to Psalm 42. Doctor, you walk around and get your chest stuck in. Oh my goodness! Who are you supposed to be now? <laughs> <laughs> my mom said, "You know, this is this, you know." Mm-hmm. That's also the belief because he got a degree. Forty-two, yeah, Psalms forty-two and verse one. My mom still calls me daddy. You can get your back. You can get your back. Oh, you're the only one. You're the only one. It's still burning me about this. Yeah. Hey, look, it's like no matter what I do. All right, I'm going to start reading. Psalm 42. Psalm 42, verse 1. As the heart panteth after the water books, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night. While they continually say unto me, where is thy God? Well, we're kind of living in that times now, aren't we? People saying, where is your God? Well, they'll find out soon enough. When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me. For I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God. With the voice of joy and praise, with the multitude that kept holiday, holy day. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. And that's that's just something really true because we're gonna get tested at times. There are gonna be things that happen in our lives, and sometimes we're gonna we're gonna be ready for it, and sometimes we're not gonna be ready for it. And it just all depends on where we are with the Lord. The best thing to do when we are not ready for it, even when we are, is praise the Lord. Mm-hmm. When he shows us where we are in our walk with him, praise the Lord, because that means that he wants whatever sin is in our life that's keeping us from going into the promised land, that's keeping us from going over that Jordan. We want the Lord to show us because we're born in flesh. So we're always going to have something in us until we're sanctified. We're always going to have something in us that's keeping us from going over. We need to pray, Lord, show us what that sin is so we can get it out of our lives, so we can walk with you, so we can go forth, so lives can be saved. That's true. We want it. We want We want these messages to keep coming. 
we want the conviction of sin to be preached. And the reason why is because if it's not, we'll get back into our flesh. So we want those messages. We want the Lord poking at us. Oh, my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and of the Hermonites and from the hill Mizar. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spells. All thy ways and thy billows are gone over me. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night, his song shall be with me. And my prayer unto the Lord and to the God of my life. I will say unto God, my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a sword in my bones, mine enemies reproach me. While they say daily unto me, where is thy God? Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him. Who is the health? Of my countenance and my God. So that's just something that we have to continue to remember. Is no matter what people say, we are in a spiritual warfare. We are living in the last days. I don't care what people say. We are. Because you can see it in the scriptures today. And that's why we have to continually hope in the Lord. You know, be thankful for what he's given to us. Don't be envious of what people have. When we hear people say, oh, the wicked have this. Well, that is the Lord saying, I want the wicked to be saved. But if they go to hell. That's going to be on them if we preach the gospel to them. Absolutely. Does anyone else have anything to share, or we just uh, close out? I can show and share. Yeah, man, that was on point, man. I can tell like the spirit was just flowing through you. We'll talk about that later, you know. But absolutely, let's just praise the Lord. You know, there's been a heavy attack. So, I mean, if you're listening online, guys, pray for this ministry because of the things that we've seen the last couple of days, the things that have been going on, you know, we need to be in prayer because we are at war. And we already know that our Lord won the won the war, but we got to win our battles, and that is to stay with Christ. All right? Um, anybody want to pray out? Or All right. Sounds good. Heavenly Father. I come to you this evening in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord God, I just want to thank you for this day that you've given to us. Lord God, I just want to thank you for this time, Lord Jesus Christ, that we have still, that we can come and worship you and praise you and get into your truth, Lord Jesus. Lord God, I just want to thank you for the outpourings upon our lives, Lord God. I just want to say thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy and your love kindness towards us, Lord Jesus. And I'm praying, Lord God, that you pour out your Holy Spirit upon this ministry. Yes, Lord. And not just this ministry, Lord God, but every ministry that's out there today yes, that's fighting the good fight of faith, that is in the spiritual warfare, Lord Jesus Christ. Be with them as well. Yes, Lord. But I'm praying, Lord God, for the encouragement that we continue to go forward, that we not get complacent, Lord Jesus, that we leave those old sins behind and yes, that we look Lord. forward to you, Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. I know at times it seems hard, Lord Jesus. I know at times the devil lies to us and he says, somebody has this, why don't you have it? Why is this way happening in your life? Lord God, we have got to just put those blinders on and look to you 
I rebuke the lies of the enemy in Jesus' name. Everything that's coming in our lives, Lord God, in the enemy, I pray against it in Jesus' name. All spirits of witchcraft, I rebuke it in Jesus' name. All those demonic oppressions over our lives, Lord God, I rebuke them in Jesus' name. Spirits of sickness, Lord Jesus, spirits of depression, anything that's holding us bound, I rebuke it in Jesus' name. Loose yes, our Lord. lips that we will preach and teach the gospel, Lord God. Yes, this Lord. is no time to be afraid of what man says about us, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. It's about when we stand before you, Lord God, what would you say about this, Lord Jesus Christ? So I'm praying, Lord God, everything that we've got going in our life, Thank purge you. it out of us, Lord Jesus yes, Lord Christ, Jesus. God Almighty. Yes, Set this Lord. ministry on fire for you, Lord God. Now, whatever it is, Lord Jesus, whether it's our job, our family, our friends, loved one, husband, wife, whoever it is, Lord Jesus, nothing is more important than you, Lord God. And I know that sounds hard for some people to believe, Lord Jesus, but if we would only call upon your name, the only name that can save us, the only name that can set us free, Lord God, washed by the blood of the Lamb, Lord God. I pray in the name of Jesus that we seek you in all things, Lord. Every decision that we make, Lord God, we could just save ourselves years of misery and hell if we would just seek your countenance and your calling upon our life first and foremost, Lord Jesus. And not just first, but in every decision that we make, we seek Jesus Christ first. Yes, Lord. Lord God, put a fire within our bones that will not go out. Lord yes, Jesus. Lord. Thank you, Lord God, for all and everything that you've done. Thank you, Lord yes, Jesus Christ, for the ministers that are out there today still preaching the truth. Be with them as well, Lord God. Encourage them to continue to go on and go forward, Lord Jesus. Yes, Lord. No matter what the enemy says, Lord Jesus, we yes, trust Lord. and believe in you. Jesus, Thank you, Lord God. In Jesus Christ, your most holy name I pray. Yes, Lord. Amen. Amen. So that's going to wrap it up for this week, guys. Be in prayer, okay? This is no time to forsake your prayer closet. Give it to God. Because the devil's trying to attack you. So our power must be and remain in prayer. So I just want to say a minister, Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries, soundthetrumpetministries.com. And until next time, have a good day. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.